Sometimes I like to just stay down closer to you and teach. And how many of you are familiar with the Purpose Driven Life uh, book or the, the idea, the series? Uh, it came out um, early 2000s, I believe. Was, uh, was a study written, just, I, think, believe, I believe God gave it to this man named Rick Warren, who pastors the Saddleback Church out in California. It's a mega church, um, incredible man who has been through great trial in his own life. And he, uh, God gave him this word, and, he, and it, it was this, it's the number one selling um, nonfiction, I believe, book ever written as far as... Uh, as far as books go, other than the Bible. I mean, obviously the Bible is a bestseller. And so it's, very, it's, been, it's been consumed by a lot of people. And so we, I just feel like as, we, as I was looking at the month of July, I was like, there's five weeks in July, and I know it's summer and people are busy, but I think that's, that's still not a reason why we shouldn't be together, why we shouldn't gather together and study and, and dive in. Maybe that's even more of a reason to do that. And so we're going to start out with this question, what on earth am I here for? What on earth am I here for? And you think, like, here at church? Like, well, I'm here for the coffee, man. I'm here for the coffee and those sticky buns, and I'm here for, because I got asked to come, or I'm here because, um, because of the people that are here, or I'm here to be encouraged, I'm here to be uh, hopefully uh, challenged a little bit. But not just about why you're here at church, why are you on earth? Well, the first thing you have to come to realize is that it's not about you. Right, I want you to look to the person next to you, just look at him and say, hey man, it's not about you. All right, it's not about you. John's quick to remind, it's not about you, Brady. All right, look to your spouse, if your spouse is close by, and say, you know what, our marriage, it's not about you. <laughs> Can you do that without laughing? You're like, oh, but sometimes he thinks it's about him. Sometimes I let him think it's about him just because. I want to read, I want to read just a short uh, piece out of this little, these are the little books that if you sign up for a small group, we want to give you one of those because this is just a taste of what it's all about. And then the bigger books, um, we do have a few of those available, but we want to encourage you to get those if you don't have them. And we give you different ways you can get those. And so the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. The search for the purpose of life has puzzled many, obviously, for thousands of years. That's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point, ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for my future? But focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. The Bible says it is God who directs the lives of his creatures, everyone's life in his power. Contrary to what many popular books, movies, and seminars tell you, you won't discover life's meaning by looking within yourself. You've probably tried that already. You didn't create yourself. This is an interesting point. You didn't create yourself, so there is no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? There's no way we can tell ourselves what we were created for. So, if it's, if it's not about you, then it must be about him. There's a point in this book that says, if there were no God and everything was a result of random chance, there would be no purpose to your life, and then you could make it all about you. If there were no purpose to your life, then you could just make it all about you. And then I guess a teaspoon of God would be all that you need. I was talking to a lady the other night. I went to a wedding reception, and I was talking to the man who did the wedding, performed the service, and he told me that he had gotten ordained as a, as a pastor to do weddings online, which apparently you can do that now. And he said, yeah, this is my second wedding. It's kind of it's cool. I, I like it. It's fun. I said, well, that's, you know, that's interesting. There is a service called thumbtack.com, and you could actually create a profile, and you could just be a wedding officiant, and you could make money doing that. And she's like, oh, wow, I never even thought about that. I said, yeah, I did that for a while. When I, when we left, when I left the church to start this church to, to, to make some extra money, I created this profile, but I was getting a lot of requests to do weddings where they didn't want God to be a part of it. As soon as I would start telling them, I said, well, if I'm going to do your wedding, I'm going to talk about God, I'm going to talk about him creating marriage, and I'm going to talk about the, I'm going to use the name of Jesus. And they were like, well, we don't really want that. And so this lady told me, I was telling her this story, she's like, oh, you know, well, Meg and Max, the couple that got married, they just wanted a teaspoon of God in their wedding. Just a teaspoon. I was struck by that comment. Because here's the deal, if that's all you want, that's probably all you're going to get. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to start with something greater than ourselves. So it starts with God. In the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. So here are a few things I want you to ponder today. That uh, Some thoughts that come from this little booklet. And so we're going to... We're going to ponder these few thoughts, and then we're going to jump into the five purposes as we finish up our time together. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. Now, some of you might have been a, oops, weren't planning for that. <laughs> or maybe you have one of those in your house. <laughs> oops, weren't planning for that. But you're not an accident. God purposely created you. And I believe even all the lives of the unborn children or children that died at birth or only lasted a few weeks or a few months or whatever, God had a designed purpose for that baby. Now man sometimes gets in the way of those things, but God does not create junk. He doesn't make mistakes, and he has a purpose for every life. Are you confident today, is a question I want you to think about, are you confident today that God loves you deeply and that he has a purpose for your life? I think as a church, we would want every single person that we come in contact with, one way or another, to answer that question with a resounding yes. Yes, I am confident of that. That I know that he loves me. And I know that there's a greater purpose for me on this earth. Second question is, is what is driving, what, or what is the driving force in your life? 
What is the driving force in your life? Is it guilt or resentment from past failures? Just, I blew it. Made so many mistakes and I just got to be, I just got to be better. That's the thing that drives. I just got to be better. I just got to fix these things that I've messed up. Or is it fear of the unknown? Is it fear of the future? You know, both of those things can paralyze us where if we're just looking back, we're not moving forward. If we're looking forward, we're not living in the moment and we're missing what God is doing right at this particular time. Maybe, maybe it's the storms of life that are going on right now. The storm of your life that's going on right now. And I, and I, I ran across this passage uh, this week and I posted it online. Hopefully some of you saw it. But it's Psalm 46. So I just want, I want to share this with you today. If you are being driven today by the storms of your life at this particular moment... I want you to hear these words. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And whenever you see the word selah off to the right, it's, the, it's, a, it's a moment to stop and ponder this thought. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. Selah, or Selah, however you want to say it. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then it finishes with this phrase. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Greg, the Lord of hosts is with you. He is your fortress. And you can apply that whatever it is that you're walking through that even you're currently going through at this particular moment and hopefully you can find some peace there you could be driven by your career getting a step ahead or just keeping your head above water maybe you're driven by your child's schedule I confess as a young parent and when our kids were younger we were driven by what they were driven by a lot of times it was self-inflicted wounds because we allowed it to happen. We were just driven by what they were driven by. Maybe it's materialism or a comfortable life. I think that's America. A comfortable life. Anything that will make us comfortable. Make it easier. 
I don't want to have to suffer. And that drives us, and we keep moving forward to, to find the next best thing. Maybe it's the approval of others. The old-fashioned term for that would be peer pressure. In the book, it says, if you follow the crowd, you'll get lost in it. Many adults are still trying to earn the approval of unpleasable parents. We were watching the show, What Would You Do? The other night, and there was a, a lady that was pretending to be an overbearing mother, and she was just really harsh to her daughter to the point that the people around her got uncomfortable. And this one particular gentleman finally just couldn't take it anymore, and he said, hey, knock it off, lady. You're being, you're being mean. We're trying to have lunch. You're just You're rude. You're, being, you're not nice to your daughter. What's going on? And to find out it was because he had the same experience as a young child and growing up never could please his mother and he had lost his mother a few years before that and the, the wounds were still there. And that was what caused him to speak up because he said, I never could do enough to please my parents. Maybe that's the thing that drives you. But all of these forces end up driving us into the same dead end. Unused potential, unnecessary stress and unfulfilled life and isn't it amazing that's exactly where the enemy of your soul would love for you to stay <laughs> just stay right there don't move forward just stay through this series and this teaching hopefully you'll discover that life is a test it's a trust and it's a temporary assignment Every situation we, we come into, great or small, every interaction in our life has eternal implications. Plus, everything that we own, I want you to think about this, is really on loan from God. This life is a practice for eternity. Even our children don't really belong to us. We didn't create them. Now, we helped make them, but we didn't create them. And ultimately, they belong to the Lord. God does not want us to get too attached to earthly things. Have you ever noticed how your longings on this side of eternity never seem to be fulfilled? Like when you get the next thing, like I've had multiple vehicles and still in search of another one because I don't have one now. But I'm in search of a vehicle. You think, oh man, this is it. And this is the one. And then after a couple of months, you're like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't smell the same anymore. I got to get a different one. We are not completely happy here and the number one reason why is because we're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be happy here. There's something more. God created us with eternity in our hearts. And so I want, I want, to, look at, uh, I want to look at the five purposes that the book uh, addresses, and we're going to talk about them each week. And so the first one is, is we were planned for God's pleasure. Now I want you to do me a favor. Turn to Acts chapter 2 right now. Acts chapter 2. And don't let me forget to read this, all right, when I'm, as I get ready to finish, all right? Someone's going to remind me? Like, you're like, hey, Brady, you need to read that Acts verse. Because I have it in my notes right now, but I'm going to wait till later. And I'll, I'll get distracted and I'll for, forget it. Acts chapter 2, we'll, we'll read it 42, but we'll re read that here in a moment. Because I want you to look at these purposes through this lens of this of the early church because I believe you can find purposes of life in this passage and purposes for the church why the church exists all right so the first purpose is we were planned for
for God's pleasure. So for your first purpose is to offer real, authentic worship. This is your number one responsibility on earth. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Anybody know what the first of the Ten Commandments is? What does it say? Come on, some of you know it. You're just afraid to share it. What does it say? You're like quick and go through. What's it say? What's it say? You shall have no other gods before me, right? There is, there is one God worthy of our worship, and we shouldn't worship or love anything more than him. Jesus said the first of the two greatest commandments was to love God with everything they have, right? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. So worship is demonstrating your love for him. That is why we were, why we were placed on this earth, to demonstrate our love for him. As a parent, you have these children, and you can't wait till they're old enough to tell you that they love you. To say it with their words. To say, Mommy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. And you're like, yes, that's the payoff right there. And you hope that's enough to sustain you through their teenage years. And you can laugh about that because you know it's true if you've been through the teenage years with kids. Your parents went through the teenage years with you. It's a good thing they had enough love in the bank. But worship is demonstrating our love. When you use your life for God's glory, everything you do can become an act of worship if you're intentional about it. Your work is worship. Your play is worship. Everything that you do, it's more than just singing. That's just one form of worship. We say, hey, how was the worship today? What do you mean, how were the three songs and the one at the end? No. How is your worship, how is your love for God today? Are you demonstrating in everything that you do, everything that God allows you to be a part of, See, here's where we have to be careful because I believe the enemy of great is just good. When we choose to worship or love first even just good things that the world has to offer, we miss out on the great that God has for us. Think about it. As we look at our schedule, as we look at our time, as we look at our investments, a lot of the things that we're involved in are good. We're not listing a bunch of evil things that we shouldn't be a part of. Hopefully all of you are smart enough to know what those things are. But I think the enemy of great is good. We're just, we just do good enough. And we worship those things more than they worship this God who is great and has great things for us. Second, we were formed for God's family. So your second purpose is, is to enjoy true, authentic fellowship with one another. You can't live this new life in Christ apart from others, because once you believe, listen to this, once you believe, you belong to a new, very large family. <laughs> a lot of relatives in your family. But even in the midst of this large family, we want to encourage people to break it down into smaller groups where we can know each other's story, where we can minister and love on, and just care for one another in a real practical way. It's unreasonable to think Brady will care for everybody in the church. Don't expect that. You'll be really disappointed if you expect that. I will do everything that I can, and I have the opportunity to do it a lot because it's my full-time job. 
But if you're involved with a few other people that, you, that know you and you know them, you can minister to them ways better than I can because you're more available, you're more accessible to they are than they are, to, than I am. Does that make sense? And so every small group, we would love for you to see it as a small church, a family. You have someone who's facilitating the discussion and you have conversations going around the table. And if someone doesn't show up one week, I don't know that, <laughs> but you do. And when you come to church and you're like, hey, man, I haven't seen John for a couple of weeks. I wonder how he's doing. Hey, John, man, how you doing? John's like, oh, I've just been really busy. I've had work. I've got all this stuff going on. Or, hey, I've been in the hospital for the last couple of weeks. I love that when people, people tell me, oh, by the way, Brady, I was in the hospital for like two weeks. Why didn't you tell me? Somebody should have told me. I would have been there. But in small groups, we, don't, we can't hide as easily. The second commandment Jesus spoke about was loving others, right? Love God, love others. Our love for each other, I want you to think about this. Our love for each other proves that we have crossed over from death to life and that we're a follower of Jesus. Our love for others. And this love must be sincere and it must be long-suffering. You've got to choose to forgive when people offend you. Guess what? If you stay around church long enough, you're going to get offended. Someone's going to hurt your feelings. It's just going to happen. Why? Because you're human. <laughs> and people just do that. We're learning and we're growing, but we've got to learn to forgive. Thirdly, we were created to become like Christ. So your third purpose is to learn real discipleship. That's a big word to say, becoming more like Jesus. In the way that we think in our emotions, and the things that we do in our interactions. It's about growing in spiritual maturity. It's a process of changing your character. The fancy word for this would be called sanctification. I'm being sanctified. I'm being changed. I'm being this process that I'm going through. It's a daily decision to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Like it's like this pressed in and like just be more and more like him. Now, God uses a variety of tools to make that happen. One of those tools is you're doing it right now. You're here. You decided to come to church. He'll use the Bible. He'll use other people. He'll use circumstances and experiences. And then he's just going to use time because that's what it takes. Your children grew and have developed over time. And so will we. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It is about, I want so much to be like Jesus, I won't. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about, I want so much to be like him that I just won't anymore, whatever it is that we, he wants us not to do. And then fourthly, we were shaped for serving God. So God has a purpose for you, not only to know him, to be like him, but to then to serve him. In ministry Jesus came to earth to serve he's calling us to do the same thing we serve the God we can't see by serving the people we can see you want to prove that you love God then love your brother love your neighbor love the person next love the person it's hard to love just love them in real practical ways serve them Matthew 25 gives us a list. People who are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. If they're naked, put clothes on their back. If they're sick, go visit them. If they're in prison, go visit them. 
And he says, if you've done these things unto me or unto them, you've done them unto me. So if we want to serve God with our gifts and, and do ministry, then we serve the people we can see. And he's given us all gifts and talents to serve others. The way you are wired is no accident. So I want you to think about this thought. Ask him this question. Lord, who and how do you want me to serve you by serving others? How or who and how do you want me to do this? And then if God placed something in your heart, then it's time to start. Don't expect, well, Brady will do it. He's the pastor. He's, that's what he does. Hey, Brady, I get this great idea. Hey, Brady, why don't you do this? No, how about if God put it in your heart, he wants to use you to do it. I saw a video this morning of a man who finds junk, drives around the city and finds junk, and he makes small houses for homeless people out of the junk. That's his mission. That's pretty cool. Do we all have to make houses for homeless people? No. <laughs> but if you want to, you should. God puts it, puts it on your heart. And then lastly, we were made for a mission. So our fifth purpose is to live out real evangelism. Okay, evangelism is a public proclamation of the gospel or the good news of Jesus. This amazing news is not a secret to be kept. Not a secret to be kept. We don't have to be obnoxious about our faith, but I think we do have to be real and passionate and um, I think it's something that we need to wear proudly. Sometimes obnoxious Christians turn people away. We don't want to be that. We want to be real and authentic. The Bible says we are his ambassadors and he's making his appeal to the earth through us. You and me, if we're a follower of Jesus, he's making his appeal through us. And he wants us to introduce others to him and his purposes for their life. So it's kind of like it's a, once we've received it and we've realized what our calling is, we turn around, we share it with someone else so they can receive it, so the cycle will continue. That's how the message gets shared. We share this message by actions and words. I love the, it's show and tell. Remember show and tell when you were a kid? Couldn't wait to get the show and tell to show your toy and tell about it. We can be about showing and telling. So living the rest of your life for the glory of God will require some change, by the way. There will be things God asks you to throw off. These are the things that we won't be involved with any longer. So that we can put on things that will bring honor and glory to him. And we'll do this in order to make room for the new things that makes your life better. You know what? God will change your wants when we won't. He just does. There's a lot of things I used to want to do, but I don't want to do them anymore. He does this so that we'll serve him and we'll be effective. I love it. It says he wants us to be effective and productive. So I want you to think about this, this idea of... of um, the worship and ministry and fellowship, discipleship and, and prayer. And, and listen to, the, listen to the, the early church. Listen to the model that we have to follow, okay? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to one another, to the breaking of bread and to, and to the prayers. And all came, among, uh, came upon them, it says, and every soul, 
And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. It's like they were ministering to one another, serving one another. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, pro the proceeds to all these things to those that had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, worshiping and praising God and having favor with all the people. And when they lived this life, listen to this, when they lived this way, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily, or day by day, those who were being saved. He was adding those who say, I haven't found pur purpose or meaning in life apart from the Lord. I want what you have. I want what you have. And so as we get ready to, to come up to take, uh, to take communion, I want to share something with you. Listen. We never, we never assume that every time that we gather, that everyone who walks in the door of the church is fully convinced and fully have committed their life to Jesus. We just know that's, that there are people who say, you know what, I, I want to, or I'm getting really close, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure about the things I need to, to give up. And you know what? Don't worry about those things. Jesus, when he comes to live inside of you, you'll want to give those things up. You'll want to follow him. You'll want to honor him. You'll want to live a life that has purpose and meaning because it all starts about him anyway. It's all about him. So I want to share quickly. I want to share the gospel with you so that if you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that today. See, God put you together and he created you to be with him. That's the whole reason you exist today because I want you to be with me because I love you. But you have the same disease that all of us have, and that is sin. And sin separates you from him. Our sin separates us from God. He's a holy, loving, but holy God. So what do we do about this sin? What do we do about this separation? Well, you know what? We'll just be good. We'll be a good, I'll be better. I'll be better than the person next to me. I'll just be a good person. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll give to my community. I'll help others around me. Like, Brady, I'm, I'm nicer than most of the people that go to church. You know what? Sure, maybe you are. That's an indictment against the people who go to church, but, but that doesn't save you from your sin just because you're a good person. So somebody has to pay the price for the sin. And God is serious about sin to the point where he loved the world so much that he sent Jesus, right? That's the gospel truth. God sent Jesus, his son, whom he loves, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life they won't have to perish oh yeah they're gonna die physically we're all gonna die but they won't have to die spiritually and it says Jesus paying the price for sin he came and he died and he rose again he died and he rose again and then everyone everyone who trusts in Christ alone who says I believe that Jesus did that for me like he paid the price for my sin. I acknowledge first that I have sin. I have things in my life he doesn't want me to, to be a part of any longer. And Jesus died for that. And everyone who puts their trust in Christ alone says we'll have life. 
and life that is eternal starts the moment that you believe and lasts forever. That is the gospel. The Bible says we must be born again, and in order to be born again, you must make a decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus the best that I know how. I want to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to have, I, want to, I want Jesus to, to pay the price for that sin, and I want to follow him. I want, to know, I want to follow him because the only way you can truly know your purpose in life is when you follow Jesus. Apart from him, you can accomplish nothing. You just can't. I promise you. Don't try it. It'll be an empty pursuit, an unfulfilled life. And so if you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus, I pray right now you say, Jesus, I believe. I believe and I receive and I want to belong. I want to be a part of the, the family, the body of Christ. I want, I want to be forgiven. I want you to come. I want you to forgive me, but I want you to live in me. I want you to help me. I want you to get rid of the things that I, I shouldn't be doing anymore and I want you to place better things inside of me, the things I want to do, things I want to do to please and serve you, Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can say right now, Jesus, you're Lord. You're the, you're the boss of my life. I want you to, to lead me and guide me. And then if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. And day by day, they were added to the number daily, those who are being saved, day by day. So if you put your hope and trust in Jesus today, then we say, come. Come to the table. We're going to remember what Jesus did, his body broken and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. That's why we do this. That's why we remember. So if you know Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome at the table.